Hello, my name's Peter. I'm from the 8.30 service and our Bible reading today is from Isaiah chapter 59. We're reading the whole chapter. So reading from verse 1. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely, and your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. They hatch the eggs of vipers and spin of a spider's web. Whoever eats their eggs will die, and when one is broken, an adder is hatched. Their cobwebs are useless for clothing. They cannot cover themselves with what they make. Their deeds are evil deeds, and acts of violence are in their hands. Their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed innocent blood. They pursue evil schemes. Acts of violence mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks along them will, be, will know peace. So justice is far from us, and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness, for brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the wind we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday we stumble as if we, it were twilight. Among the strong we are like the dead. We all growl like bears. We moan mournfully like doves. We look for justice but find none. For deliverance but it is far away. For our offences are many in your sight. And our sins testify against us. Our offences are ever with us. And we acknowledge our iniquities. Rebellion and treachery against the Lord. Turning our backs on our God inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. So justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is no, nowhere to be found and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate, and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garment of vengeance, and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they have done, so will he repay. Wrath to his enemies, and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. From the west, people will fear the name of the Lord. And from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. For he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you. And my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants. From this time on and forever, says the Lord. Hey everyone, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your kind and yet sharp words that you speak to us in this chapter of your word. 
We thank you, God, that you are committed to disciplining your children that you love. And so we thank you that you confront us with hard realities in this passage. We pray for your grace to help us now, please, as we read and as we think and as we reflect. Help us to see ourselves more clearly. But Lord, above that, help us to see you and to love you more clearly through what we read today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, where is the justice? These past few months, we have seen across the world protesters take to the streets and raise their banners, crying out for justice, racial justice, legal justice, economic justice. And whilst those protests have probably been the most obvious example, it seems to me actually that one of the defining features of 2020 has been that more and more people have been pointing the finger at injustices in the world at corruption, at oppression, at violence, at exploitation, at abuse. 2020 has given us a laundry list of ways in which it's become obvious that our world is a dark, painful place for many. And now, perhaps more than any time in recent history, we are hearing and seeing our world's desire for justice. Now look, even if those, kind of, those big systemic issues of justice just seem a bit too kind of distant and theoretical for you, you know, they don't directly impact on your life, well, I'm sure that you know full well actually just how dark and unjust this world can be on a personal level. You know, when you've been betrayed and lied to by someone you trusted, when you've been ripped off and taken advantage of, when you've been mocked or excluded or belittled, you don't have to look far to find the darkness and the injustice in the world. And so as Christians, we should be in full agreement with the rest of the world on this, shouldn't we? That we long for a more just world. Now, maybe in fairness, what we, what we long for differs slightly in terms of how we conceptualise justice. But nevertheless, a world that's filled with love and compassion and fairness, yes and amen. As Christians, we long that instead of the, the dark, broken world that we find ourselves in, that instead that the light of God's justice would break through and set things to right. Now today we're looking at Isaiah chapter 59. But actually in the passage immediately before, in, in chapter 58, which you would have looked at in your home group this week, uh, we saw God's vision of this beautiful, perfectly just world. If you remember in chapter 58, it's a world where the weak and the vulnerable are cared for, where there is fairness and truth and righteousness. It's a beautiful picture of a world that is set right, where there is peace and happiness for all. It's a, it's a utopia of sorts. But then as we keep reading, and we read into chapter 59, it sort of snaps back to reality from this lofty vision of this just world that God wants for his people. We are suddenly reminded that the real world that we're living in is actually still anything but just. And the people of Israel have noticed this, if you like, a disconnect between how God wants the world to be and how it actually is on the ground as they look around them. I wonder if perhaps you've felt that disconnect too. And so Israel have kind of reached their conclusion about why there is this, this disconnect between these two things. Verse 1 of our passage, they ask, is God's hand too short to save? They're asking, you know, is God too weak to do anything? Sure, he, he wants that just world, but maybe he just can't do it. 
Are his ears perhaps too dull? You know, is he ignorant to our darkness? Does he not see what's going on here? That's the doubt, it's the question, it's the accusation really that Israel are wrestling with at the start of this chapter. They're asking in a sense, how do we make sense of the darkness? And Isaiah chapter 59 is God's response to that question, that accusation. And it really comes in two parts. Firstly, God says, if you want to make sense of the darkness of this world, then look in the mirror. God says, look in the mirror. Let's read verse 2. Isaiah says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Uh, When Catherine and I moved into our house down here in Wollongong about four years ago, there was always one corner of our backyard which was always completely sodden and soaked. It was like a swamp to walk through. You'd come up with mud on your boots every time. And for weeks and weeks and weeks after we moved in, we couldn't figure out what was wrong with this corner of the yard. We assumed, first of all, that there must have been a burst pipe under the ground. And so, you know, it wasn't our fault. It must be, you know, the the council who haven't taken good care of the pipes running underneath our yard. We'll call them. We'll see if they can come out and fix the problem that they've created. Okay, oh, well, no, that's not it. What else could it be? I know, it must be maybe one of our neighbours who are sneakily draining water, you know, off into our land. Are they pulling one over on us? We, we couldn't figure it out. We didn't know what was causing this problem. And I was getting increasingly upset that somebody was pulling one over on me. Somebody was causing this damage to my yard until eventually, some weeks later, we rather smartly figured out that it was actually our rainwater tank that was overflowing. And so it was constantly flowing into my yard. Why was my yard so damaged? Oh, right. It was because I damaged it. <laughs> The first thing that Isaiah says, if you want to see where the problem is coming from, he says, then look in the mirror, because it's us, our sin, and not God that's the reason for the darkness and the injustice in the world. You know, there's all sorts of things that we might be tempted to kind of blame for the state of the world. But Isaiah is saying, no, no you can't do that. You, you can't blame some you know, particular economic system, perhaps, that incentivizes selfishness and that therefore makes this world an unjust place. No, you can't do that. The problem isn't even a lack of education. That means that some people just don't know how to behave with kindness. No, that's not the problem. The problem isn't a political process which takes power away from the individual. No, no, no. None of those things. The problem of darkness and injustice in this world is actually much deeper than that. The problem is human sinfulness. Sin. That rebellious anti-God attitude, that posture of the human heart that means that we would all rather be king of our own lives rather than bow the knee to the one true king, the Lord Almighty. According to Isaiah, we may complain and and kind of point the finger at others and blame them for the darkness out there, but we should really take a look in the mirror because actually the darkness is a problem in here, not out there. We look at the injustice and the mistreatment in the world and we we so often think to ourselves, you know, that, that group of people, they are so filled with hate. Or, you know, that government, they make such inhumane decisions. And sure, look, that may be the case, But Isaiah says, no, you can't excuse yourself that easily. Look at verse 3. He says, For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. 
your lips have spoken falsely and your tongue mutters wicked things. Remember that Isaiah is speaking to Israel here as they you know, look around. They want God to make Israel great again. They want God to come in and crush the oppressive enemies of the Babylonians, get rid of them. But God is actually saying, you know what? Actually, you're the ones who are oppressing each other. You're the problem with your words and your actions. You make it every man for himself. And so he goes on in verse 4 and talks about how everyone plays the legal system. It's, you know, it's that attitude of, well, if I can shake the right hands, then it could be that uh, it ends up with you in jail and I could take possession of your land. You know, Sure, people might just talk about their desire for justice, but what happens when justice is inconvenient to you? Well, it's quickly forgotten. And Isaiah goes on with this assessment, this stinging indictment of Israel in verse 5 and 6. Now He describes this sort of behavior as subhuman almost. It's grotesque imagery, sort of thing that you'd find in a nightmare, talking about people as snakes and spiders conceiving trouble and giving birth to evil. It's repulsive kind of imagery, and that's the point. This kind of behavior that Isaiah is describing, this acting in your self-interest and everyone else be damned, it is an ugly, sad way to live. When people lie and cheat and steal and hurt others in order to get what they want, that's what makes the world the way it is. And even though Isaiah is talking in the first instance to Israel here, this is just as true about Christians today, isn't it? There's a famous story of two groups of missionaries who were taking the gospel into Uganda in the late 19th century. One group was Protestant, one group was Catholic. And ostensibly, the groups disagreed over who was more qualified to evangelize the Ugandans. But the real issue, actually, underneath it was which group would end up wielding political power over the area. And, well, naturally, the way that they resolved this dispute was with a machine gun battle. (laughs) which is actually believed to be the first use of machine guns by white men against each other. And that's a pretty grim accomplishment, isn't it? Now, look, I'm, I'm not suggesting that we are likely to wage war against each other, but the truth is that we can't exempt ourselves from the words of Isaiah, Christians or not. Christians can still hurt and deceive each other when it's personally advantageous to us. These words describe us too. In fact, have a look at verse 7. Isaiah says, their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed blood. Now, if those words sound familiar to you, it's because in the book of Romans in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul takes those words and he applies them to the whole human race. You know, according to Paul, we are all Usain Bolt at sinning. We rush in, every one of us. And over and over again throughout this passage, chapter 59, Isaiah says, no one, verse 4, no one, verse 8, no one, verse 16. What does Paul say in Romans 3? There is no one righteous, not even one. At the end of the day, everyone has the same problem. It's what verse 2 said. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. So... Before we point the finger at other people or at the government or, yes, at God, I need to ask myself, well, do I not contribute to the darkness that I hate so much in the world? Think about it. Have I not weaponized my tongue? I'll tell you, there are people out there who probably lost sleep because, you know, I really needed them to feel the force of my frustration in that email, and so I sent it with as much vitriol as I could. 
I have, to, I have to ask myself the question, have I not built my kingdom at the expense of others? You know what that's like, don't you? You're making a joke about your work colleague so that your popularity goes up and their self-esteem goes through the floor. Have I not preferred my own comfort and convenience over someone else's well-being? You know, it's choosing the cheaper option at the shops and not caring whether someone was exploited to get that product to me. Of course I've contributed to the darkness. No one is righteous. God is not the problem. We are. And so if, if we are people who truly hate the darkness, who long for justice, then the first step is to stop pointing the finger at others and instead to point it at ourselves. And so when you get to verse 9 of this passage, Isaiah 59, the language changes. There's a shift from kind of talking about they and their to talking about we and our and us. Isaiah wants us to take this opportunity, really, to own our part in the darkness. He wants us to be able to speak those words, uh, the words of verses 12 and 13, as our own. Let's read them, verse 12 and 13. For our offences are many in your sight, God. And our sins testify against us. Our offences are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities. Rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. If you still think that the problem is out there with them, then you haven't seen the truth that the heart of the problem with this world is my own heart and your own heart. I wonder, friends, can you say those words honestly to God today? Look, whether you've said them a million times in your life before or whether this is the first time, perhaps, that you've ever acknowledged your sin, it doesn't really matter. If you want a way out of the darkness, you have to confess to God, yes, Lord, the darkness starts with me. When I was at school... I went on a caving trip uh, with some classmates. We went to Janolan Caves and we were crawling around in these dark tunnels with torchlights on our head and our helmets. And uh, after we'd been going for some time, we found ourselves actually lost and unsure about how to get back out of the cave system. And so our guide uh, told this scared group of 13-year-old boys to just uh, sit there in the pitch black and to turn our headlamps off to conserve battery because who knows how long we were going to be down there. And... I remember feeling so angry at this. I just, how dare he? I wanted to blame our guide. We'd entrusted ourselves to him. How dare he be so reckless as to get us lost? I could die down here in these dark caves and it was all going to be his fault. And so I sat there brooding in the darkness. But, you know, as I sat, I thought and I realised that actually this was partly my fault too that I hadn't been paying attention to where we'd been going as I'd been asked to, that I could have taken precautions that would have made us able to get out. I didn't have to be down in the caves. No one forced me to. You see, I wasn't just the victim down in this darkness. No, I was the villain too. And my only hope really at that point, sitting in the darkness, was that someone from another group might come to find us and lead us out into the light. And thankfully, before too long, they did. Do you know, friends, in our dark, unjust world, we are both villain and victim, and we too need someone to intervene. 
And so Isaiah tells us in the rest of this passage, after you've looked in the mirror, then look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. Uh, We're told, actually, as Isaiah goes on from verse 14, that when God looks down at our world in verses 14 and 15, he sees that, that justiceness and righteousness and truth and honesty have become an endangered species. And we're told in verse 15 that God was displeased about this. Displeased, very ominous sounding word, isn't it? Displeased that there was no justice. He was appalled, we're told, that there was not even a single righteous person to intervene for the people. No one who hadn't been stained by sin and who might be able to actually turn things around for the human race. The whole crop is ruined. So what do you think God should do at this point? Should he wipe us all out and start all over again? He'd be fair to, wouldn't he? Well, here's the good news. In verse 16, that's not what the Lord does. Instead, the Lord says that he will intervene. The end of verse 16, so his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. See, what this verse is telling us is that God is going to step into our dark, unjust world and he's going to clean up the mess himself. And, And I can't overstate how absolutely breathtaking this announcement from Isaiah is. Because, you know, all throughout the book of Isaiah, we've been hearing these prophecies about how God is going to send an agent to act on his behalf. It started at the beginning of the book with Isaiah. He sends Isaiah to speak for him. And then he promises a king who's going to come in the line of David and rule. And then later throughout the book, in the chapters we've been reading, you hear these promises of this servant who's going to come and suffer and rescue the people. But here, God just kind of gives up on all that kind of indirect language, those shadowy hints explaining what's going to happen. There is no other recourse than this. God himself is coming. And he's coming, verse 17, as a divine warrior. Verse 17 tells us that he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. It's a bit like if you can imagine one of those montage scenes in a movie as the soldier is kind of suiting up their armor. He's, he's lacing his boots, he's polishing his weapon, readying himself as he's about to step onto the battlefield. We're told here in verse 17 that the Lord himself is coming to do battle with the darkness, with the sin that has ruined the world. And, and honestly, friends, whether that is good news for you or not really depends whether God comes as your ally or as your enemy to fight with you or fight against you. Because when he comes, there will be both retribution and redemption. Retribution and redemption. Look at verse 18. We're told that according to what they have done, so he, the Lord, will repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. When God comes in his righteousness... To destroy the darkness, there will be vengeance. God has to be just. And so he will repay his enemies for every wrong deed and for every wrong word. For those who are guilty of rebellion and treachery against the Lord. We've already been told that their sins testify against them. And as God destroys the darkness and the injustice in the world, so he will destroy them. There will be retribution. But thankfully, thankfully, there is a note of hope in these verses too. Because not only will there be retribution, there will be redemption. 
Let's read again verse 20, where we're told that the Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. You see, for everyone, everyone who repents of their sin, everyone who owns their part in the darkness, God will be pleased to grant salvation. If you can say those words of verse 12, you know, God, my offenses are many in your sight. I acknowledge my iniquities. My heart is the problem. If those are your words, then God will forgive you. He will look to his servant, the Lord Jesus, the one who came and died for the sins of the world, and he will consider your debt paid. That is the good news of the gospel. It's the good news of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Friends, no one needs to perish. No one needs to face the judgment of God when he comes in righteous vengeance. We just need, friends, to sack our inner lawyer who says, everyone else is the problem. Everyone else is the cause of the darkness and injustice in the world. Not me. No, says Isaiah. Look in the mirror. Admit your sin to God and then look to the Lord. Let Jesus pay for your share of the darkness in the world because the only other choice is to pay for it yourself. Let's pray. Kind Father, thank you for this wake-up call. Thank you for these words of warning about the seriousness of sin, that we are setting ourselves up as your enemies and that the hours are ticking until you come with righteous vengeance and repay your enemies wrath for their sin. Lord, may we not be found amongst that group on the day that you return. May we be those who own our iniquities. May we be those who have trusted in the payment of the Lord Jesus' death on our behalf. Please help us to repent and trust in him. We ask in his name. Amen.